Welcome to Downton. Hello there. Emma speaking. Welcome to Shall We Go Through, the Downton Abbey fan podcast. What? 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 Hi, everyone. I hope you're doing well. Well, better than me because I'm ill. So if my voice sounds like stranger than usual, well, I'm ill. I feel like I'm always ill. Don't really have a good immune system, I suppose. Anyway, <laughs> I hope you're doing well. We're already in December. Like Christmas is literally around the corner. I said that already like last week, but I think I'm going to say that every week until it's Christmas. Uh, and Christmas actually is a Sunday, if I'm not mistaken. So hopefully I will be able to like upload an episode on Christmas Day. Yeah, not like people would actually listen to it on Christmas Day, but anyway, maybe if I manage to post on Sundays, because right now it's still a bit like all over the place, but I would try my best. But I have to say, I'm not lucky with technology and recently I've had issues with absolutely everything. So every time I hope everything will work as it should. And so, yeah. Anyway, because we're not here to talk about that, because today we're here to talk about episode four of season four of Downton Abbey that I called the one where they cope with the aftermath. So the aftermath of the party, you know, that happened like last episode. It was too long to like add of the party, you know, to the title. But I think you got it. Because this episode is set the day after the concert where Nelly Meba came to sing in Downton. So after what happened last episode and yeah. So, well, let's just start, shall we? And I just wanted to start with like teeny tiny storyline where it's more like the end of a storyline, but it's by Carson. If you remember, it was not the last episode, but the episode before that, you know, the whole story with Mr. Greg and this Alice. Well, Carson, he talks about Alice to Mrs. Hughes. You know, he says who she was. And so they met when Carson was on stage because she had an act too. So that's how they met. And he says that he liked her. And he also says that he wanted to marry her. But as we know, she decided to marry Greg. So that was the end of, um, well, actually of their relationship as a whole. Like, I think that's how then Carson, he stopped being friends with Greg. He stopped the theater, he stopped everything at that moment. And he just changed lives completely and arrived at Downton. And he so also says to Mrs. Hughes that Greg said to him that apparently Alice, she she realized that maybe she should have married Carson. And I like it when he says, no, it doesn't matter now because she's dead. And Mrs. Hughes says, on the contrary, the woman you loved, loved you too. So that's important, even if, you know, now she's dead. So still something. And then she actually has a present for him and she bought him a frame for Alice's photograph. I think this is very sweet. Um, and then I couldn't, she, she jokes and said, well, I think it's good for you to remember that you have a heart or something like that. And it's good <laughs> for the staff to know that you belong to the human race. I think it's sweet. And so that actually closes the chapter, you know, Carson, Grigg and his youth. Because my opinion is that this whole story with Alice was the reason why Carson never wanted to speak to Greg again. We met Greg uh, in season one, but I think he just didn't want to talk to him. That's why he changed his life completely and began a career in service because he arrived as a whole boy. So it's like really, it's almost the, like the bottom of the ladder for a, a male servant. So he really, he arrived really young, I think. So I don't know how old he was when he was on stage or if he was on stage when he was also a servant. To be honest, like the whole, like the timeline in this show, I don't really get it. But for me, it would make sense that he became, no, he said it, that, you know, he started his life in service after, I think he said that to Robert in season one. Uh, he went to service when he stopped his life at the theater. So yeah, that makes sense. But I don't know how old he was like. Yeah. Anyway, to stay with the servants, let's talk about our love square. Yes, they're still here. What does change? Well, you know, you go forward. You're not, we're not stuck as we were for a long time. Where they're in the kitchen. So Ivy and Daisy, obviously, but 
Alfred and Jimmy are here too. And so they talk about food because Ivy says that she is making feuille for dinner. And she says that it's the first big thing that Mrs. Papmore trusts her to do. So she's a bit nervous because it's huge. Because she was just a kitchen maid, you know, like Daisy was at the beginning. So after dinner in the kitchen, you have the leftovers of the dinner. And James, he wants to try so her photos. And he says that they are not really good. Then he's like, you really care about that stuff? And she says, well, yes, I want to be a good cook. Like I want to have a skill because it's good to have one because, you know, you need a job to like live. So, yeah. And he's like, actually, the life he wants to live is really like, I just want to have fun. That's what James wants to do. And like she says, you can't make a career out of that. That is true. Like, yeah. And they almost kiss. But then Alfred and Daisy come in. And well, Alfred, obviously, he's jealous. I think he still thinks that Jimmy only likes Ivy to make him angry. But I think Jimmy, he started to like her. You know, he said so to Anna. Uh, when was it? Episode two, uh, when um, they were at the Thé Dansant and he said, that, you know, he bought the, the tickets. I think it was episode two, right? And so maybe he started to really like her, you know, but Alfred still thinks that he doesn't. Complicated. Um, but then, so Miss Papo comes in, but Miss Papo, she says to Ivy that she did well, like what she cooked was good. So she says, you did well. Daisy, she is jealous. And I feel a bit bad for Ivy because Ivy, she never said to Alfred that she likes him. You know, she always had eyes only for Jimmy. And so Daisy, she has a trouble with Ivy because Alfred likes her. But <laughs> this is really, again, like Miss Baffmore said, they're all in love with the wrong people. But then the day after, Jimmy takes Ivy to the boot room and Daisy, she sees them. And Alfred, he comes to the kitchen to say that apparently they have opened a training school at the Ritz in London. Apparently it's free, like if you pass the test, you like have a wage and they train you so then you can be a chef. And he wants to show that to Ivy and Daisy tells him that she's in the boot room. The moment she says that, you realize that she is regretting it and Alfred goes to the boot room and she follows him but it's too late and Alfred, he sees Ivy and Jimmy kiss. And then you realize that it's him who wants to pass the test to go to this training school at the Ritz because Miss Papmore, she has lending him books and uh, she even says, you know, everything you need to learn, you tell me. Daisy will help too and you know, we're going to help you to try to pass the test. Instead, Daisy, she feels bad because, yes, she wants to help but at the same time, she doesn't want him to go. She wants to say that it's her fault. One moment of nastiness and I'm going to pay for the rest of my days. And Miss Papmore says, you know what, maybe it's best if he goes because he doesn't love you, you know, like you love him. So maybe it's best, you know, if you just go so you can, like, move on. And she also says it's best if they part as friends. That's why she said that she needs to help him because at least, you know, they will part as friends. So, to start talking about, you know, the aftermath of the party, we're going to start with Rose. If you remember at the party, she was always with the um, Sir John Bullock. Like they, they got on pretty well. And so at the beginning of the episode, everyone is leaving because it's the end of the party. And this Sir John, he says to her that he would like to see her again. But she says that, you know, she's not out technically. So it can be a problem, but there shouldn't be a problem. Like, you know, like she doesn't care about those silly rules. Like we know that rules, she doesn't really like rules. So, you know, she says that it might be possible that they can meet again when she's, if she is ever in London. And when Mary, Tom, Cora and Robert are in the library, she comes in and Mary and Tom are talking about going to London. And so she asks if she can come. And Mary, she's like, well, I don't see why not. Cora, she's not against either. So Rose is really happy because she's going to London. So they are staying with Rosamond and she gives a little party. It's more like she gives a party because Cora asked her to, but we're going to talk about that specifically later. But so at this party, she invited Sir John Bullock. So Rose is happy. And this John, he said that there's like a new club or a new band at a club that they should all go after dinner. They go, so it's the Lotus Club. But the issue is that Sir John is a bit drunk. 
quite a bit. No, he's completely drunk. And he dances with bros. But because he's drunk, they kind of make a show of themselves. And Rose is really embarrassed. And you see people looking at them like, who are those people? And then when he abandons her in the middle of the, um, probably won't say dance floor. But I don't know if you say that, but you know what I mean. <laughs> because, you know, he's like sick because he had too much to drink. And so at this moment, she really is embarrassed because she's alone, like in the middle of everyone dancing. And the band leader comes off the stage and dances with her. And you see that the leader, from the beginning of John acting really weird because he's drunk, he was looking at them, you know, like he was still singing, but looking at them like something is happening here. So he kind of saves Rose from humiliation. And Rose, she likes it. You know, Rose is really sweet and uh, she's happy he came to her rescue. His name is Jack Ross. But the issue is, he's black. The moment he starts dancing with Rose, Rose is like, oh dear. And so Tom has been sent to fetch her. And you see, I think that the way he says it, you know, I've been sent to fetch her. And when Jack Ross, he looks at the table, he realizes, okay, okay. Like, I don't know if like, this is a club where only posh people go, but I feel like the moment he realized not who they were, but like the standards... <laughs> Like, I don't know, when we see the table, it's like, oh, okay, I see if your friends are waiting. Like, I don't think he's stupid and he knows that the fact that he's black might be an issue. Rose doesn't seem to realize that it could be an issue because, you know, then she says to Tom that he was rude and Tom's like, I wasn't rude. And before leaving, when she speaks to Rosamund Mary and, and Tony, she says that the guy was really nice because he saved her from humiliation. You see that Mary, she doesn't want to say anything. Like, yeah, yeah, okay, he saved you. But that was maybe not a good idea. And Rosamund's like, oh, yeah, you seem to be having quite fun with your Mr. Ross. But she doesn't say that in a, you know, nice way. And you see that when they're leaving, Ross doesn't understand their reaction at first. And you see, I think on Tom's face that he quite... um feel for her like he's like I think he's in the middle uh, maybe because he was from the working class but she doesn't get it you know I don't think she even thought that the fact that he was black would be an issue but apparently it is and when they come back from the club they talk about again this uh, John Bullock and say so you know you are not going to see him again because of what happened he's like I don't know you know Everyone deserves a second chance and Rosa was like yeah but when you had to be rescued from a black band leader I think you know, that's enough for you to not want to see him again. So whether or not you knew that it was a trouble that he was black, I think now you got it because of Rosamund's reaction. But when they left, you know, the club, you see that she just turned around to look at him, like Rose, to look at Jack Ross, like the band leader. And he, you know, says goodbye to her. It's the beginning of, well, something. Like this Jack Ross, we're going to see him again. And I I really like his character. I think he's very charming. But obviously you already know that if I tell you that we're going to see him again and that there is an issue because he's black, this would bring a bit of drama. Bananas. Now let's talk about Edith. Well, and Michael Gregson, obviously, because I think Edith now, she's quite happy because her father now likes Michael Gregson. When he lives in the morning, Robert, he thanks him. You know, again, because thanks to him, Robert, he got his money back. So, you know, Cora won't get angry at him. Well, I think she doesn't know, but, you know, in case she might learn from someone that he played poker and he lost money, in the end, he got it back. So that's all good. And when the family is in the drawing room, so Edith isn't there. She's in London. And where they talk about Edith. And Robert, Robert says that Edith is in London and he doesn't know why. Which, like Mary says, you know, there's no secret. Like, she is going to see Michael Gregson. Like, why do you think, why would she want to go to London except to see Michael Gregson? Like, this is, this is obvious. But I like it when Vice says, well, this is something to look forward to. Because obviously now they all got the point that they love each other. So it's um, only a matter of time since like they will get married or that Michael will propose because they don't know that he can't because he's married so yeah but so uh, Robert he says that he doesn't dislike him and Violet says what a recommendation 
But so well, it's an improvement from what they were, you know. Like I said last episode, as first Robert was like, I don't like the guy. I don't want to talk to him. I don't want to know anything about him and all that. And now he's like, I don't dislike him. So, you know, improvement. And then we see Edith at Gregson's flat. And so, so they're together. And apparently Michael is leaving in a week. So it's very soon. In a way, it's getting like real, you know, that he's really going to leave. And so I thought, like, oh, he's going to be so nice. Like, you know, he's going to leave. He's going to be a German citizen. He's going to divorce his wife. And he's going to marry Edith. Even apparently his lawyer is optimistic. And Edith says, but I thought lawyers were never optimistic. The way that's why, you know, there's good chance. Because if Adam, he is optimistic, that means, you know, he has good chance. And she asks him if he uh, wants her to do something while he's gone. And he says actually that he wants to give her some authorities over his affairs. So he asks her to sign a paper. And then Alfred says, would you want to go out tonight, you know? And he says, no, no, I don't want to. And so, wait, they kiss quite passionately, actually. And then when you see Edith again, she comes back to Rosamond. But without her shoes, actually, she's literally tiptoeing up the stairs quietly. And you see it's early in the morning. But... There's a maid who sees her. Then she has a talk with Rosamond because her maid, so that was her maid who saw her coming back home at six o'clock. And well, she spent the night with Gregson. And Rosamond, she's a bit like upset. She says, you know, that she has taken a great risk. Like she is risking her name and her reputation. She's gambling with her future. And like everything is in the hand of, you know, Gregson. And Edith said, well, I trust him and I trust him because he wants to marry me. And then that was really not nice. But Rosamond says, you know, oh, like you trusted Anthony Stratton, you know, the guy that said that he's going to marry you, but then cheated you at the altar. <laughs> well, that was not really nice. That was not really kind, I have to say. But Rosamond said that she's not going to say anything to anyone because, uh, you know, like she says to Edith, you're a grown woman. So, you know, I'm no one to tell you what to do. Actually, now, Edith, you must have, like, around 30. So, yes, she is a grown woman. But Edith, she says that she um, is not a bit sorry. I mean, I can't understand Edith because the guy is literally leaving for, you don't know how long, but you know that everything he's doing is doing for you. I can't understand her a bit. Like, no one in her life has loved her the way this guy is loving her. So I can't understand her. But, you know, when Rosamond says that, she might feel very sorry later. Well, bananas. Now let's talk about Isabel. Because, you know, last episode, she at first she wanted to come to downtown to hear Melba sing. But Violet, she convinced her to come. But it was quite hard for her because seeing all those young men alive while her son is dead it was quite difficult. And well, in this episode, she meets Clarkson uh, in the churchyard. And Dr. Clarkson, he tells her that he would like to open an out clinic. Now, she that he would love her help. And she says that she would think about it, but she promised that she would think about it. And then she's with Violet. And so they talk about the concert. And Isabel says that she, she liked the concert, but that it felt weird and well, she felt bad and maybe hurt to see mary come alive again by the same touches but my feelings like like it doesn't make sense because i don't want her to like i said you know be in, in mourning all her life like she has the right to want to live again and want to like flirt with someone and even want to marry again like you know it's just obviously hard for her because her son is dead and i find quite um endearing when she says that she loves mary because you know at the beginning of the show that was definitely not the case but what I like is Violet when she says, you know, I don't criticize you for feeling that way or Mary for feeling her way. Like, like it's the way to say, you have the right to feel what you feel because, you know, your son is dead. So you have the right to feel weird to see young people having fun when, you know, your son is dead. So um, well, I say it again, but I like Violet and Isabel relationship because being, you know, approximately the same age, they view on different like subjects are not similar because you know they're different persons but like um yeah it's there's a different way of thinking i don't know if i i don't know if i'm making any sense but yeah 
And so then Isabel, she's invited to dinner at Downton. And they talk about this, this out clinic, you know. And Isabel, she thinks it's a good idea. And she says that she might help you know, to provide some free labor. And Robert, he makes a joke and says that he would love if someone uh, would want to provide him with some free labor. <laughs> but I like that because you see that maybe Isabel, she wants to do that first because it would give her something to do. And she likes to be helpful. So, yeah, like she wants to work because she enjoys it. And then after another dinner when they're all in the drawing room, when Tony Gillingham is here, yeah, because he's back. Just before leaving, they all say goodbye. And Isabel, while saying goodbye to Tony, she shakes hands with him. I think this is a very powerful moment, even if I don't like Tony Gillingham, because she kind of sense that he likes Mary, which everybody has sensed and have seen that he really likes Mary. And it's a way to, I want to say, to welcome him in the family, even if officially he's not in the family, because obviously Isabel is still part of the family and it could be a bit awkward to like have to dine with the mother of your wife or future wives or fiancés, late husband, you know. And so I really think this was a very strong move for her to make and I think it was also a way for her to move on uh, even if she we never forget son and all that but to make peace you know with the world again make friends with the world again it's what Violet says and so Robert and Violet they see that and I love their conversation Robert he says that was nobly done mm-hmm. she is a good woman and while the phrase is enough to set one's teeth on edge, there are moments when her virtue demands admiration. I agree. Although I'm rather surprised to hear you say it. <laughs> Not as surprised as I am. I really love the, this little conversation. I think it's very sweet. And I'm happy if Isabel makes friends with the word again. Now, let's talk about the real, real aftermath of the party. Because... They were a bit, you know, with Rose because that's how she met Sir John Bullock and with Edith because I think she was feeling even better with her relationship with Michael now that her father likes him. But now we're going to talk about Tom and Edna. <laughs> so when everyone is leaving, you have the Duchess leaving. You know, the Duchess that, um, that was nice to Tom through the whole stay. They have a very sweet moment. And Tommy even says, he says, you know, you've been so kind, but I don't feel I've been you know very fun to be with and she says you know grief is odd and she talks about how it felt when her husband died she said that he felt so disloyal to like in a way it was a way to say he felt so disloyal to like to live like I used to without him in a way that's what she says but Tommy says but I didn't you could manage she said yes but so can you and I really love this moment because realize that she never made fun of him that she really cared for him and that she felt for him because he lost his wife and she lost her husband. So they were like connected because they had this like shared experience. Well, a very sad one. But I thought it was really sweet because that's really a way to say that you did well. You know, because everyone knows that he was the chauffeur. I think almost everyone must know that he was a chauffeur. And I thought it was so sweet because she's a duchess and she could have said, I'm not talking to him even if he's even if he's in the family because he's like, you know, he was a chauffeur. I don't know. I told you, I really like this Duchess. I thought this was a very sweet moment. But then Tom, he wants to go up the stairs and Edna is here and she wants to speak to him. And so you realize from what they say that, you know, Edna coming into a room at night. But I realized that it was Tom's room where we already know that, but like it's confirmed. And they spent the night together. <laughs> and now she acts like this poor young woman you know being like are you ashamed of what you did and he says well you know i was really drunk so it was a mistake i'm sorry and he keeps saying that he's sorry you see he's very uncomfortable and he says he's sorry and he comes up the stairs then edna she comes into his room and oh my god this scene makes me so angry like she just she irritates me but like so much I mean you already know that but like the way she acts it just gets on my nerves like she said you can't treat the poor girl like this you know like use her uh, a minute and then cast her the next I'm like okay girl you are the one who came into his room 
didn't invite you, you came, you know, like she talks like he used her, like he forced her or something, or like he took advantage of her. But it's totally the opposite. She is the one who got him drunk with the drink she gave him. And maybe she put even something more in the drink. So, you know, and she's the one who came into his room. And now she acts like he took advantage of her when she took advantage of him. Like, but I have to say, she plays it very well. You can almost feel like she is, you know, like in distress, like, oh my God, you use me in all that. And she says, actually, what she wants. What she wants him to marry her if she's pregnant. And, I mean, everything she says. No, she said, don't say I'm not good enough for you. If you were good enough for Lady Sybil Crawley, I'm good enough for you. I'm like, okay, what? Uh, oh my God, every time I hear her say that, I'm like so mad. I mean, who do you think you are? Even if I didn't like Tom with Sybil, Tom was so much better than Edna like Edna is one of the worst characters of this show like I was like oh my god obviously then Tom is like okay don't speak her name like don't talk about my late wife like yeah just but I just want you to tell me that you're going to marry me if there is a baby you know he's like <laughs> no I'm not gonna say that and so then you won't have any regrets for making me your wife and he says I am already full of regrets there is nothing but regret in me. And still in this story, um, just a moment when Cora and Robert are in the bedroom and Edna is still here too, like she just is finishing getting Cora ready to go to dinner. They just, they talk about, you know, family means welcoming new members. And so Cora, she asks Edna what she thinks about that. And Edna, she says, anyone will be lucky to join this family because she wants to join the family, like she wants to marry Tom. But the thing is, what makes me so angry is she just wants to marry him to be part of the family, to be part of the aristocracy, to like, uh, you know, get up in the ladder. She doesn't really care about him, not really. So, yeah, um, makes me even angrier. Anyway. And so Tom, with all this, he's feeling like shit. <laughs> and at dinner, at a moment, they ask him a question and he's elsewhere. Like completely, the guy is lost. <laughs> he doesn't know what to do, and he's very well not feeling good. And when they're in London, he dances with Rosamond, and she asks him, "So, how does it feel, you know, to be part of the family?" And he says that the family has been kinder to him that he deserves. Yeah, I think he still feels like he doesn't fit in, and this whole Edna story got him way worse than he already was. And then when they come back to like Rosamond's house. Mary, she wants to know, what is it? Because she says, I have seen you. And Tommy says, like, he can't say it to her because he said that if he tears her, she'd despise him. And Mary says that she said that to someone once and in the end she confessed and made everything a lot better. You know, when she said what happened with Pamuk to Matthew and Matthew says, no, I'm, I never could, I never would despise you. <laughs> that was so sweet. <sighs> yeah. But so she says to Tom that he needs to find someone he can tell. Because he can't stay like that. Then um, Edna is humming in the boot room, feeling very cheerful. And Thomas comes in and he talks to her. He said, but you know, you weren't that cheerful when you were speaking to Mr. Branson the other day because he's so damn talk. Then she says something like, you know, like it will come a day where you would be glad that you were nice to me. Like, you know, you you were in my good graces, something like that. Because at that moment she thinks that her plan is working. And that she will marry Tom. <laughs> and obviously if she marries Tom, that means she will be part of the family. And so, you know, that's why she says that to Thomas. But when Mary, Rose and Tom are back from London, Tom, he goes straight to the servants' quarters. Like he follows Anna. And Mary, she sees that. And you see that she she's intrigued. And so Tom, he went to the servants' quarters to talk to Mrs. Hughes. Because, like I said, Mrs. Hughes, she's the voice of reason. And she has always been kind to Tom. And so I told you that I love their relationship. And it's true, I love their relationship. And so he says that um, he didn't know who else he could talk to about that. And I just saw what Mrs. Yusha says. Not the most flattering invitation I've ever known. 
But then, you know, and Tom is feeling really bad. He says that he's, it's his fault. But she says, it's not only your fault. It's not all your fault. It's part of your fault. That is true. But it's not all your fault. Like, she is to blame in this. And then she, you see, she comes into, into her sitting room. And she has something in her hand that she hides in a drawer. And she says, Edna is coming. And I comes. And she says, you know... I won't, like, uh, be paid off. Like, if I am pregnant, I want my baby to have a father. Then Mrs. Hughes, she says that Edna is not pregnant. And Tom is like, what? So, no, she is not pregnant because she would not get pregnant before she was sure that you would marry her. If he had accepted, she would have get herself pregnant. So, you know, the lie was still on. And apparently she found in Edna's things a book called Married Love by Mary Stopes. And... It was a book where they talk about like for example con- contraception devices and how to not get pregnant and all the things but that is one thing she talks in the book and then actually mrs Hugh, she turns a bit scary uh and you see that tom he's very surprised by her reaction like how she reacts and mrs Hughes, when i say she turns scary she really turns scary because she says that if she doesn't says that she lied about all this story, she says that if she needs to get the doctor to examine her, she would do it. Like she would force her to be examined. Like this is, it turns very dark for like a minute, and then at first Edna she wants to talk to uh, her ladyship, so to Cora, and Monsieur says I can't like forbid you to do it, but if you want to have a good reference and to find work again, then you won't. And she's really. She was she's blackmailing her like yes and um she's scary really I then I think Mrs. Hugh she is scary and I think Tom he's shocked and a bit scared too like okay um I'm happy she's on my side <laughs> and Tommy even says then when and I leave how did you know that she wasn't pregnant like she said well I didn't you know and the doctor couldn't have said if she was pregnant either because you know the whole thing happened only yesterday but now we know that that was her plan. And so Edna, she is angry. And Thomas speaks to her in the stairs. And he's very cheerful. I don't think he ever liked her. And she says that um, people dislike him so much because he's sly, oily, and smug or something like that. And I just love then when Thomas answers, Well, if we're playing the truth game, then you're a manipulative little witch. And if your schemes have come to nothing, I'm delighted. I just love that because first it's very satisfying. You know, having Thomas calling her a manipulative little witch. And I just like how cheerful he is. And then he asks her if she is living downtown. I say, what's it to you? And he says, that's plenty to me. But then his tone and his look is like, okay, Mr. I love to plot is back again. And, you know, he has something in his mind. And you see that it's getting dark outside and you see someone leaving. So you like, okay, it must be Edna. And yes, it is because then Cora and Robert are in their bedroom and Cora is being dressed by Anna for dinner. And she says that Braithwaite has handed in her notice. And Robert was like, what? Not again, you know? I just saw when Robert's like, are we living under a curse? Like, you know, because the ladies may just keep going where ladies made Cora's mates. But you know what? We're happy. We are happy because Edna is gone for good. Because we didn't like O'Brien, but Edna was way worse. So we're happy. Okay, Cora, you deserve a nice lady's mate. Okay, and maybe, maybe you will get one. Maybe. Bananas. But I love them when Carson, he talks with Mrs. Hughes and says, well, I'm, I'm sorry for her ladyship, you know, that Braithwaite leaves. But like, it's like, oh, well, yeah, but I didn't really like her. <laughs> Mrs. Hughes is like, well, one day I will tell you the whole truth and you'll feel less sorry. <laughs> And she said, the truth is they were completely mental to let her back in. Like, to never have done that. And she's right. And he said, Thomas, he wants to speak to Robert. And he says just that he might have a candidate to um, replace Edna. And someone says, well, she's a bit older than Miss Braithwaite. And Tom is like, well, that won't hurt. But so, like I said, Thomas, he has something in mind. And the look and the tone he had when he said, no, it's plenty to me. Mm. You know, there's some plotting, you know, and things not really nice, I think, around all that. But I guess we just have to wait and see bananas.
But just before leaving with Mary, Tommy says that he took her advice and he told what troubled him to someone and now his problem is fixed. But it's also because he told you he told Mrs. Hughes and Mrs. Hughes is like the best. So if you have a problem, you go to Mrs. Hughes. Now <laughs> Mary and Tony. <laughs> oh seriously, we just left one really annoying character and we go back to the next. So Tony Gillingham is leaving. You know, because he's leaving, the party is over. But he literally says to her that he wants to see her again. But she tells him that technically they shouldn't because he's supposed to be engaged to be married. And she's not stupid. She says that the guy likes her a bit too much. And then Robert said, wait, I need to say goodbye to Lord Gillingham. And she's like, no, don't interrupt them, not yet. And then in the library, um, no and Mary, Tom say that they will mix the tax people in London so that's why they go in London and this marriage still wants to persuade the father to not sell land to pay and all that and then so they say they're going to London and <laughs> Cora she asks Mary if she's going to see uh, Tony Gillingham while she's in London oh I love when she says that Robert's face I think they all want something to come out of it you know like because I've seen that they you know were feeling quite well together like they did yeah, they were quite well together but i love robert's facing cora really like you have to say like that can you be like less subtle than that and cora just acting like she's innocent like just thought you might want to see him you know oh my god that's very funny because then when cora and robert are together in her bedroom when she is getting ready to go to dinner she says that she called rosamond i mean this whole conversation is really funny says that she called Rosamond and said that she wanted to speak to her. Robert is like, that's a first. <laughs> that was funny. And she said, she's going to have a little dinner. And Robert said, like, I mean, this is so obvious. So instead of the dinner, she actually asked Rosamond to invite Tony Gillingham. And Cry even said to Rosamond to invite uh, Sir John Bullock because Rose liked him. <laughs> Robert is like, this is too obvious. Like, you know. <laughs> It's not like they literally just stayed here. If you have waited maybe a month, like, okay. But like, there's like two days. <laughs> yeah. Well, oh, it makes me laugh. She even says to Robert, I don't know if anything would come out of it. But, you know, if it did, I'm not going to be not happy about it. Because family means welcoming new members. And, you know, Cora, I love you. But like, Tony Gillingham? No. <laughs> Please, no. <laughs> and so London, at Rosamond's. Tony is here. And Mary, she is surprised to see him. And like when, you know, he says, this is a good surprise, bad surprise. And like when she says, you're certainly unexpected. And when they're at the club, uh, they dance together. And she says, well, it was Mama and Aunt Rosamond who ambushed me. Because it really feels like that. To be honest, I have to say, I give that to her. She handled it pretty well. I would not have ended it that well. I would be so angry in the way they literally pushed her at Tony. Like, I don't know. They saw each other two days ago. Like, yeah, you know I don't like Tony, so yeah. And she even said when she dances with Tony that he's supposed to be engaged. So they're not supposed to see each other that much. And she says, well, I'm almost engaged. But that almost it's the same as engaged to me. Precious, I'm not ready to get married again. I don't know when I will be. And then he says, I don't believe that or something. And I'm like, uh, excuse me, are you in her head? Like, okay. Anyway. Then Mary, you know, and Tom and Rose, they're back at Downton, but Tony is here. And he said that he came back to ask Mary a question. And he says, will you marry me? And Mary's face like, what? But you don't know me. And she's so right. Like, guy, you spent three days with her. You fall in love with her. Okay. But then she literally tells you, I'm not ready to get married again. And you say, will you marry me? Like, are you listening? And then, you know, he says very romantic things. Like, you feel my brain. I think about you every day, like every moment of every day and all that. And, and then he says something that, I don't know why, it makes me really angry. Um, he says, you know what, I didn't know Matthew. I'm sure he was great. Like, he says um, he was a splendid chap, but he's dead. I'm alive. And I'm like, that's, that's how you want to convince her to marry you. <laughs> he even says, there must be a way to convince you. Like, excuse me, what? Like, and he says, be persuaded. Just tiny things that just, oh, it gets me so angry. 
and he even says well i'm I'm not gonna marry anybody else you know that you can wait as long as you want like what he wants is her to tell him okay i want to get married with you but not right away maybe in five years time it's like okay like this is weird yeah no just yeah don't like the guy and i wish she doesn't know what to say because i feel like mary she liked the attention that she got from him i think she is stuck a bit like she's even confused herself because she's also like 30 and so i don't think she wants to spend the rest of her life alone you know when you're 30 and you're living in a house with your parents that love each other for 30 years now i don't think she wants to be 50 and be alone you know but at the same time she's not ready yet because her husband just died which is okay i mean you can take two three four five ten years i mean you know and so I think she's kind of stuck in the middle because she's like, maybe I will never have another offer again, but I'm not ready at the same time. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So now it's time for my French word of the day. And I thought I would give you the word, so the verb, marry, to marry. Because, you know, Tony wants to marry. Uh, marry? Edna wanted Tom to marry her. Edith, you know, Michael Gregson wants to marry her. Even they even talked about it, you know, Castle and Mrs. Hughes when she says that he wanted to marry so his friend Alice. So, yeah, and I haven't given you that word yet. So, to marry in French is épouser. It's written E with an acute accent. P-O-U-S-E-R. So, it's a verb. Uh, but from that verb, you have the word époux and épouse, which is spouses, actually. Because when Tony says, will you marry me? In French, she would say, so, to marry in French is épouser. And so Tony is staying. He brought a suitcase just in case, you know, and he's staying just for one night. Like, the guy, he is, I think he's pushing in, you know. I don't like how he acts, really. I, oh, he gets on my nerves. <laughs> and so at dinner, Robert and Violet, they talk about, you know, Tony staying. And even Robert says, well, we're very glad he did. I think they all saw that. He liked Mary. Mary, she kind of liked him. So I think maybe something can come out of it. But it feels like they are waiting for them to get engaged when she just lost her husband. Okay, now maybe it's a year. But like, why the rush? Why do they absolutely want her to get married? Like, I, yeah, weird. But then in the end, Mary, she tells him that she can't. You know, she even says, you told me that I fear your brain. Well, Matthew fears mine. And obviously, I mean, she is taking care of the estate now with the plan that he made. She has a son that she had with him. Obviously, he would still fear her brain. And he died like, what, a year ago? So, yeah, obviously. And he asks her to kiss him. So they kiss and they say goodbye. And um, then Tom and Robert ask if they're going to see him again. It's like, maybe uh, he's getting engaged to Miss Mabel Lane Fox. And Robert, see, he's a bit, like, surprised. And he realized that, so, you know, nothing will come out of it. And see, they are a bit disappointed. And in the end, when uh, Mary and Tom, they leave, she says that she did something that she feels she may regret. And I think it's what I said, you know. I think she thinks she may regret it because she was not ready now. Maybe in a year or six months' time, I don't know. She would have been ready, but it would be too late because you'd be English with another woman. And so... I understand her, but at the same time, like, girl, you know, you have time. You're still young. You live your life now, and when you meet someone and you fell in love with them, you marry them. You don't have to marry anyone, especially not Tony Gillingham. But the issue is this whole thing about Mary getting married again is literally at the center of this season, and this is why I don't like it. <laughs> so it's not the end, you know of this whole Mary, maybe we get married again. <laughs> Bananas. And now, obviously, I chose it for last because exactly for the same reason, a last episode, it's so hard and heartbreaking and I don't know what other things to say to just halfway at the beginning and then laugh, you know, because I'm not sure I could have laughed after that. Obviously, we're going to talk about Anna and Bates because we like I said the next day so you know with what happened I haven't said it again but I made a trigger warning last episode but as long as the storyline goes on 
I will talk about rape and sexual assault because that's what is happening. So if you're not comfortable with that, well, I'm going to put alignments now. So you just have to skip this and it's, well, then it's the end of the episode. I'm saying it again now, but it, you know, I mean, technically you have seen the episode before listening to that or you know the episode. So as long as this story is going on, I'm going to talk about that. So yeah. And this is just so sad because episode starts and you see her walking alone to the abbey. And then she's alone in the boot room. Like, this is so heartbreaking. Like, you see, she still have bruises on her face, obviously, because it was literally just, like, the night before. And then Bates arrives and says, why did you wait for me? And you see that the moment he arrives, she has to stand, like, she has to leave the room. Like, she can't stay in the same room as him. She says, but what happened? What have I done? She says, nothing. And she says, nobody's done anything. This is very specific to say. She says, no, you haven't done anything. Nobody's done anything. And when the servants are having breakfast and she comes to the servants hall to, you know, take her place. And obviously her place, who's sitting next to her? Mr. Green. So she comes in the servants hall. And the moment Bates arrives and sits down, she leaves the room instantly. She says that she has things to do. She can't stay. And this is so hard because he doesn't know what to do. He says, obviously, he's like, she is avoiding me. So something, I must have done something. I don't know what, but I must have done something. And so he asked Mrs. Hughes how she was last night, you know. And she says, I don't know. Uh, I'm sure it's nothing. I mean, I'm sure I don't know something you don't know. Obviously, it's really hard for her because she knows exactly what happened. And she's literally like opposite Green. And I think she wants to like kill him just with her look, if she could. We wish she could, but she can't. And then actually, you know, again, when Green is leaving, she looks at him. But like I said, if Flukes could kill, he would be dead. And I wish, I wish she could kill him with her stare, but she can't. And I hate what he says. You know, he even says, you know, I will remember this day for a long time to come. You just want to jump into the screen and strangle him. Like, really. I don't know about you, but that's what I wanted to do. And then Anna, she's with Mary. She is getting her ready for dinner. So Mary, she talks to her, say, can you, like, uh, take care of Lady Rose when we're in London? And Anna, she doesn't speak. And usually Anna and Mary, they always have a chat, like, you know. And Mary, she senses that something is not right. And she asks her if something's the matter. She says, no, everything's all right. But you see in her look, she's concerned because she doesn't act like she usually acts. And obviously, you know, like, she can't act like nothing happened because it's not possible. But everyone is concerned because they realize that she is not acting like she used to. And then so Anna, she's with Bates and she just tells him that they're gone just for one night. And then she, she'll be back. And he wants just to, he says that he would miss her and he wants to touch her. And she's like, don't touch me. And he's, what have I done? She's just done nothing wrong. She's just, I'm tired, you know. I think, you know, we live together, we work together. It's just too much. But you see, he's really hurt by that, obviously. Um, she's so in distress, like just, Everything is awful, okay? Because then she talks to Mrs. Hughes and she says that she wants to move back upstairs because she can't stay at the house because she can't let him touch her. She feels bad, she feels dirty, she feels... Well, everything, like, this is typical, obviously, of uh, sexual assault, um, rape victims. And she even says, you know, I told you last episode that I think a pauvre thinks it's her fault and she says it. I think I might have made it happen in a way. And Miss says, no, it's not your fault. Like, no, you were attacked by a piece of shit. Like, I'd, you know, let's just say it. And it's not your fault. Like, there's no sin in that you have done nothing wrong. And Mr. Bates has done nothing wrong. Like, she says, you know, it's sad if you, like, punish him in a way for something he didn't do. But she can't, because she feels like if she tells him, like she says, she tells him he's going to, murder the man who did it and then was going to get to jail and he's going to well be hanged and she doesn't want that and still she doesn't want to go to the police she doesn't want to talk to Bates and so the only solution she thinks she has is to move back to the house and Mr. she still tries to convince her I think it would be best if you just tell Mr. Bates because his heart is broken right now or he will be heartbroken because he would not understand what happened and Anna she says better a broken heart than a broken neck and I don't know why but in makes me think about something Mrs. Hughes said to her. It was in season two when Bates left with his wife 
you know, first he wanted to get married to Anna and he left with his wife. Uh, so she was heartbroken and she wanted to know how she was. I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm all right. You know, people are, are living worse things than I am. So it's okay. But Mrs. said, yes, but something like a broken heart can be as painful as a broken limb, you know. So I know I thought it was kind of a bit of a parallel. I don't know if it is, but it made me think about that. But I'm still so moved by the fact that the first thing she thinks is my husband will die if I tell him. And this is just so moving. Like, yeah, and I'm, I understand her. And I understand Mrs. Hughes when she says maybe it's best if you talk like Mrs. Obviously, she would do what Anna wants to because she can't say anything because, you know, she's like, you know, it's you. You are the victim. I'm just here to help. You know, Mrs. Hughes, sometimes I feel like she needs a shrink concert because she has so many in her mind, you know, because she's the confidant of everybody. Sometimes I feel like, can someone be the confidant of Mrs. Hughes? <laughs> because in the same episode, she had the Edna issue and then she has the whole thing with, with Anna and she managed to still work and still like quite function properly. I don't know how she does it really. And that's why Mrs. Hughes is literally one of my favorites because she's like one of the best characters in the show. Anyway. But it broke my heart to see Anna like that and to see Mrs. Hughes also being like, I don't know what to do. And having Bates also being like, what did I do? Like, this is oh awful. And so when Anna comes back from London, Bates, he talks to her and he wants her to kiss him. And she doesn't want to. Like, you see, she's almost afraid. And he says, I want to know what happened. You have to tell me. She's no. And you see, he's like, he's helpless. He's like, what happened and i'm trying to be in his shoes and how of course everything is weird because i mean her attitude changed literally from one minute to the next and he doesn't know why and obviously we think it's his fault because she avoids him like oh god i'm gonna say again it's awful and then actually carson comes to see anna to tell her to say to lady mary that lord gillingham is here the moment he says that you see her face like she's dying panicking she tries to stay like normal but you see inside she's panicking and the first thing she asks but why is he here is his valet with him and then, so then she tries to you know because if the valet is here that means he's staying so is he staying and when he says i don't think he is she's like okay okay the valet's not here like, this is oh i'm not gonna say it again right you got the point and then i thought this was a very also touching moment why is about colbert obviously for me it's very touching but when Anna is dressing Cora and Robert he asks Anna if she knew anything about Edna leaving he says that she's a bit like off so um, he asks her if anything is a matter because she seems he says even the same thing that Mary said you seem to be quiet lately it's like no nothing and so then he a bit makes a joke said I hope Bates is behaving himself she almost says he's perfect you know so it's not his fault then when she gives her gloves to Cora and she leaves the room, you see Cora, the way she looks at Anna, there is so much concern in her look. You know, she says, thank you. But the way she looks at her is like, yes, like there's something. And I just, I find very sweet in a way because they've known Anna for years. She was already here when the show started. So it's more than 10 years that they know her and they love her. They, I mean, everybody loves Anna. They love her and they saw her grow also. And all of them have realized that she is not her usual self. And they're all concerned. And so I hate this storyline because I think it's so heartbreaking. But at the same time, for those tiny moments, I, I'm not going to say I like it, but like I, I find it sweet to see that they are concerned, you know, for her. Like, they, they saw that something is not right. And, yeah. Um, yeah. And then, actually, you know, Edna has left. And so, Anna, she comes to talk to Mrs. Hughes again. And Carson is here and she's, so I can move back in. I can have Edna's room, you know. And if I have to dress and Lady Mary and her ladyship, it's it's best this way. And you see Carson, he's behind and he doesn't really understand what is happening. But he doesn't want to, to ask what happened because... I think a part of him is like, if she told me to misuse, it's not my business, you know. Then misuse if that's what you want. So that's how, you know, you would be. And so now it's time for my music of the day. And it's still depressing, obviously, because the whole storyline is depressing. 
And it's again Avril Lavigne. Don't ask me why she inspired me. <laughs> you know, this storyline inspired me Avril Lavigne. I don't know why, but yeah. And obviously the song that I had last week could work still here. But yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna explain it, I think, after, but yeah. Be strong, be strong now. Too many, too many problems. Don't know where she belongs. Where she belongs. The feeling she hides. Her dreams she can't find. She's losing her mind. She's falling behind. She can't find a place. She's So that was Nobody's Home by Avril Lavigne. And so technically, there's somebody's home, you know, when she got home. But for her, it's like there's nobody because she can't be home with her husband. And you have this whole, like, being broken inside and being lost and don't know where uh, you belong and having having fall from grace. She feels that like she has fallen from grace for bait. You know, she says, I'm, I'm soiled, like I'm dirty and all that. And... She just lost, you know. Um, she said to Mrs. Hughes, there can be no break from it. She doesn't know where she can ever find sense to life again, actually. So, yeah, that's very, very, very sad and very depressing. I'm sorry. Um, but that is, uh, well, I really wanted to, like, highlight, well, this is weird, uh, like, to highlight this storyline, but I feel like it's such a strong storyline and I feel like it wasn't, as important as it should have been on the show when you have all the mixing with Mary and I think Mary is considered the main characters of Downton Abbey and her story with Tony Gillingham would be like in the center of her just her and I feel like Anna's storyline and Bates as well because now we know that they're in it together deserved more time they deserved to be bigger I don't know to have more important on the show especially with uh, what I said and the fact that they're all concerned you know like the family as well you know and so I felt like this particular storyline um, deserved a bit more recognition so that's why I'm giving it like that and because I didn't want to end this episode on a really sad and depressing note I'm gonna end with a scene between Robert and Bates and I love their scene together I think they have a great relationship and this scene is just very beautiful and very moving it's well first Robert talks about you know the fact that Edna has um, has left, and he says he, he hopes that you know it's not too much for Anna. And basically he says, well, she wants to move back to the house. I mean, this whole thing is just so beautiful. And Robert asks, is anything the matter? Like, is, it, is something wrong between you two? And Betty says, yes, but I don't know what it is. She says it's nothing I've done, but how can I believe that? Must be my fault because she is incapable of fault. I don't know what to do. There is no such thing as a marriage between two intelligent people that does not sometimes have to negotiate thin ice. I know. You must wait until things become clear, and they will. The damage cannot be irreparable when a man and a woman love each other as much as you do. My goodness, that was strong talk for an Englishman. I love this scene. First, because Bates saying that Anna is incapable of thought, I think it's very sweet. And you see Robert's reaction, like he smiles, like it's very, very sweet. Robert, he ships them, okay? Robert, like, he's he's a big banana shipper, okay? And what Robert says is just so moving. You're like, damn, Robert, when you want, you can say really, really beautiful things. And obviously, he makes, like, reference to his own marriage. But I just love the fact that he says something about, you know, marriage between two intelligent people. And he says, like, I know. So, like, he says, oh, um, he considers his, himself an intelligent person. Um, 
but just it's just so beautiful like when he says you know it cannot be irreparable when a man and a woman love each other as much as you do like oh my god robert like oh you know and i don't know how he ends when he says no that was strong talk for an englishman and even bates laughed like their relationship i don't think i'm a huge fan of bates but i love anna i love bates and anna and bates and robert i think it's just they are my favorite like and this is oh i just love this scene so much like just so sweet and like i said robert he's a big banana shipper you can't you can't tell me otherwise okay and yeah so it's still sad you know the story but i wanted to end it on that note because that's actually around the end of the episode and it was very sweet and very beautiful and well i say i already said but robert he has the soul of a poet i'm pretty sure of that but so yeah that's it for this episode I hope you enjoyed it. Again, uh, I know it's difficult when you have such hard and difficult subject to talk about, but I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to chat, <laughs> I'm going to say that every time, but you know, then, you know, go and send me a message. Like I said, I'm really sorry. Like it was, I think I prayed like on Monday and Tuesday, like my technical problems just drive me nuts and me and technology were not really good friends actually. So I would try to make it better and I would try to do my best to have like, the episode is supposed to come out on the 25th of December to come out on the 25th. So it's going to be, it would be like Christmas. I thought it, was, it would be quite nice. Um, I will try my best. <laughs> but um, yes, I hope you are all right and everything is fine for you. I wish you uh, well and I wish you like good luck with all the work if you're like in school because I know this is like the worst period. I already said it, but you don't want to work and it's the moment you have so many things to do. But I wish you well and I wish you good luck and um yeah so i will see you uh next week i'm not going to say sunday because i don't know if it can be sunday but next week uh to talk about episode five of season four of downtown abbey and until then stay safe take care of yourself and don't forget vive le france <laughs>